Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Hey listeners, this is Nick from Scripture Central, and today's podcast addresses the question, Why are people baptized for the dead? On August 15, 1840, the prophet Joseph Smith was preaching at the funeral of Seymour Brunson. Seeing a widow in the congregation who had recently lost a son before he could be baptized, Joseph Smith introduced one of the most significant doctrines of the Restoration, baptisms for the dead. This ordinance would be the theme of many of Joseph's revelations, letters, and discourses during the following months, especially as the Nauvoo Temple was being constructed. As biblical evidence that this ordinance was performed in ancient Christianity, Joseph Smith turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? This verse constitutes the only explicit reference to this ordinance for the deceased in the New Testament, and it has led many scholars to wonder what Paul might have been referring to and if proxy baptisms were actually performed in antiquity. As additional texts have come to light, however, most scholars today conclude that the clearest reading of this verse states that early Christians actually performed vicarious ordinances for the dead. For example, after reviewing attempts to interpret this passage as referring to a metaphor or a regular baptism, one scholar concluded that all interpretations which seek to evade vicarious baptism for the dead are misleading. Similarly, Reginald St. John Perry noted that the plain and necessary sense of the words implies the existence of a practice of vicarious baptism at Corinth, presumably on behalf of believers who died before they were baptized. Many attempts have been made to evade this conclusion, but all at the cost of violence to the language. In fact, all such evasions are wholly due to the unwillingness to admit such a practice, and still and still more such a reference to it by S. Paul without condemnation. While some scholars may wish to argue that Paul secretly disapproved of vicarious baptisms, there is no evidence to support this conclusion within 1 Corinthians, especially given Paul's open willingness to criticize cultural or religious practices that ran counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this masterful letter to friends Paul had lived with for a year and a half, Paul corrected many incorrect beliefs or practices that crept into the fledgling branch of the church there, including some incorrect beliefs about the resurrection. Paul emphasized that, like Christ, everyone would be resurrected into a kingdom of glory. In this context, Paul is using baptisms for the dead to ultimately strengthen his argument in favor of the resurrection of the dead, showing that he understood and approved of the practice. Baptism is still a requirement to enter the kingdom of heaven, and those who died without being able to receive this ordinance would then depend on living individuals to perform these ordinances as a proxy for them. Limited evidence from other early Christian texts may also allude to baptism for the dead. For example, in the Apocalypse of Peter, the Lord declared regarding the dead, I will give to my called and my elect whomever they request of me from out of punishment and I will give them a beautiful baptism in salvation, a share in righteousness with my saints. In other words, the righteous saints could request the Lord for salvation to be shared with the dead sinners, who would then be saved through baptism. Similarly, the shepherd of Hermas, 
which was written only about 40 years after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and contained in many quotations from early Christian scripture, describes how apostles and teachers who preached the name of the Son of God preached the gospel to the living and the dead. Furthermore, these same apostles and teachers descended with the dead into the water and again ascended. But these descended alive and rose up again alive, whereas they who had previously fallen asleep descended dead, but rose up again alive. The practice may have been more widespread than the limited evidence now available suggests, since Christians generally did not describe any of their ordinances in any depth for the first two centuries, rather keeping the information sacredly guarded. This appears to be especially the case with ordinances performed on behalf of the dead. David L. Paulson and Brock M. Mason observed that nearly all the texts purporting to contain teachings of Christ concerning salvation for the dead emphasized that his teachings were closely guarded, reserved only for those whom the Lord deemed worthy to hear them. The sacred silence placed upon this doctrine and these ordinances, then, limit the source material available to modern scholars for study. When Clement, as an investigator, asked Peter, If those shall enjoy the kingdom of Christ, whom his coming shall find righteous, shall then those be wholly deprived of the kingdom who have died before his coming? Peter, with reticence, described the sacred nature of ordinances for the dead. You compel me, O Clement, to touch upon things that are unspeakable, but so far as it is allowed to declare them, I shall not shrink from doing so. According to Hugh Nibley, this reticence reflects the occasions Peter and other apostles are forbidden to talk about certain things in the New Testament. This is especially evident in the bestowal of the apostolic keys upon Peter, giving him power over the gates of hell, that is, the realm of the dead, during which Jesus gave a watchword to his apostles, not to tell it to any man. Eventually, the practice of baptism for the dead came to be strongly associated with heretical sects, which further complicated the evidence for the practice amongst mainstream Christians. For instance, ancient Christian theologians such as Tertullian and Ambrosiaster quoted 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 29 as referring to vicarious baptisms, but later attempted to distance Christianity from such a practice. This later reversion was evidently in response to the Marcionite and Cerinthian heresies since the founders of each sect are each described as performing baptisms on behalf of the dead. While some details are conflicting based on the extant accounts hostile to these sects, it is clear that baptisms for the dead were still being performed as late as the 5th century AD, albeit without priesthood authority. While it may be tempting to dismiss this ordinance due to its acceptance by heretical sects, Scott R. Peterson has observed that several logical fallacies exist in such an approach especially regarding other ordinances such as the sacrament that were likewise accepted by these sects, as well as the Orthodox Church. After regarding these later theological developments, Christer Stendhal, the late Bishop of Stockholm for the Church of Sweden, noted in the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, once the theological pressures from later possible developments of practice and doctrine are felt less constricting, the text seems to speak plainly enough about a practice within the Church of vicarious baptism for the dead. That is, as Peterson noted, there is little reason to reject the reality of such an authentic Christian ordinance simply because later church leaders and theologians had lost a sense of the importance of the rite, while smaller sects continued to embrace the ordinance. 
While only briefly mentioned in the New Testament, it is apparent that baptisms for the dead played an important role in early Christian theology, particularly as it related to salvation for the dead, inaugurated by Christ's preaching to the deceased and encouraging them to accept that covenantal offer. These sacred ordinances thus allow all to accept the love and mercy of God in their lives, giving everyone who has ever lived the opportunity to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ for themselves, through a covenant that is recorded on earth and thereby bound in heaven. In modern times, this ordinance and the authority to perform it has been restored through the prophet Joseph Smith and is performed in temples throughout the world. As baptism and other essential saving ordinances are performed for those who are unable or unwilling to accept them in this life, might do so on the other side of the veil, so they too might live according to God in the Spirit. As we continue to worship in the temple and perform these ordinances, we have the assurance that, just like the early Christians were able to do, we might stand as saviors on Mount Zion and bring the blessings of Jesus Christ's atonement to all of God's children on both sides of the veil. Thank you for listening to this presentation from Scripture Central. For more information, please visit scripturecentral.org.